There will be things that happen in your life that you will never in your lifetime understand why. And you can't know the future. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are you driven by life towards God in faith, in fear, in obedience, and in love? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part two of Ecclesiastes, a biblical philosophy of life. At its heart, Ecclesiastes is a book that calls us to live life by faith. Often, we as Christians expect life to make sense, but when life doesn't always make sense, even we as believers can lose our joy. We no longer view life as a good gift from God. And as you'll learn today, life doesn't make sense at times, simply because we live in a fallen world. Though life is not ultimately satisfying, God is good and He has given you life as a gift. Do you live your life as such? Let's join our teacher to find out more now on The Word Unleashed. Listen, life is a good gift that God has given to you. And it's to be enjoyed. You know, so many Christians miss this. They live as pessimists and cynics. They go through the hard days of life, and it turns their heart angry and bitter. They make sarcastic, existential jokes about life here. Let me just ask you as you sit here tonight, what is your true view of life? Have you allowed the trials and troubles of this life to turn you bitter and resentful and cynical and dark and pessimistic? If you say, well, I don't know for sure, just ask your spouse. They'll know. Regardless of how you've gotten there, if that has happened, let me encourage you to decide now to repent of the sin of failing to enjoy God's good gift of life. Every moment you breathe is a gift from a sovereign God, and it is a good gift to be enjoyed Determined to enjoy the gifts of God that are a part of this life. Good food, the food of, excuse me, the love of family and friends, the the beauty of the world around us, and every other blessing that's a part of this life. Every good thing, remember what James says, comes down from whom? The Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing that you enjoy in this life is a gift to you from God. Stop living in cynicism and pessimism and complaining about your station and situation in life. Remember what Solomon said? Rejoice in them all, even though there will be many dark days. Don't allow the darkness to turn you dark. Live in the light. Enjoy, and as you enjoy, praise the good God who's given you this life and the good things of this life to enjoy, and give Him thanks. Glorify Him for His greatness, for His goodness, for His wisdom. The first major theme that Solomon lays down 
across this great book is this simple reality. Life is a gift from God, and he intends, indeed, he commands that we enjoy it, always within the boundaries of his law. Now, that brings us to the second great theme, and that is that life has serious limitations. Now, let me expose you, first of all, to the terms that make this clear. The first term is simply the word vanity. Keep your finger here in chapter 12, turn back to chapter 1, verse 2. Here's how he begins his book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Turn to chapter 12, verse 8. Here's how he ends. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. He begins this book, he ends this book, and it permeates this book, this idea of vanity. What does it mean? The Hebrew word literally is the word for breath or vapor. This is a metaphor. Now, let me give you a brief English lesson. The key to understanding a metaphor is understanding the point of similarity between what's being described and the image that you're using to describe it. Uh, The example I often cite is the biblical metaphor that Christ uses. He says of Herod, go tell that fox. Herod is what he's talking about. The image he uses to describe Herod is a fox. The point Jesus is making is that there is some shared characteristic between a fox and Herod. Now, let's see. Is it that they have red hair? Is it they have whiskers? Pointy snout, tail. No, you get it. It's they're both sly. So, what is the point of similarity between breath or vapor and life? What are the attributes of breath or vapor? Well, transitory, fleeting, meaningless, futile, don't amount to anything incomprehensible. There's nothing really to grasp there. So as you're reading Ecclesiastes, understand that there isn't just one of those in every case. I mean the same one in every case. It may be a different one of those points of similarity depending on the context. But what Solomon is saying is life is like breath. It's like a vapor. In some cases, he's saying it's, it's fleeting it's here today, gone tomorrow. In other cases, he's saying it's, it's meaningless. It doesn't seem to have any, any clear path to understand. It's incomprehensible. The point of similarity varies with the context. The other expression that he uses is chasing after wind. This refers to that which is exhausting but utterly futile. You get the picture. Chasing the wind will utterly exhaust you, but it won't get you anywhere. Now, that sounds cynical and pessimistic. Why would he, on the one hand, say life is a gift, and then on the other hand, say life is like breath? It's, it's empty. It's meaningless. It's incomprehensible. It's like chasing wind. There is a theological presupposition that causes him to say this about life. I want you to notice it in chapter 1, verse 14. 
I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. There are our terms. Why? Why is everything vanity and striving after wind? Because the world is, notice verse 15, crooked and lacking. We live in a world that is crooked and lacking. Let me show you one other text that makes this clear. Turn over to chapter 7, verse 29. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. You see why life here on this planet has serious limitations? Why it's like breath? Why it's like chasing after wind? It's because the world and life in it is not what God originally created it to be or what it will ultimately be because it is crooked and lacking because God created man right, but man has sinned. In other words, what lies behind the vanity of the world is the fall. Man's fall into sin. Therefore, this good gift that God has given us is tainted with serious limitations. Now, what are those limitations? I like the way one writer puts it. Let me just give you life's primary limitations. We'll come back to these a little bit later. Life is not ultimately satisfying. Life's a good gift, but if you're looking for the good things of this life to satisfy your heart, You've got another thing coming. It's not going to happen. Secondly, man can't know the mysteries of life. You are never going to understand everything that happens here. It's not going to happen. There will be things that happen in your life that you will never in your lifetime understand why. And you can't know the future. You have no idea what's coming this evening, much less tomorrow or for the rest of your life. Those are serious limitations on this wonderful gift. Now again, I don't want you to think that what Solomon is saying here is out of step with the rest of Scripture. In fact, it is exactly what Paul says in Romans 8. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, there's life in a fallen world, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed to us. Now notice how he describes the world. For the anxious longing of the creation, all creation, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's why. For the creation, the entire world, the entire universe was subjected by God to futility, vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God, because of the fall, because of man's sin, subjected all of creation to futility, to vanity. However, for those who are in Christ, there is hope because the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves groan within ourselves. But we have hope. 
You see the same? I mean, he's talking here about futility. He's talking about vanity. It's the same thing. He's talking about a world in bondage to the tyranny of the curse. That's exactly what Solomon's describing. Life has serious limitations. Now, back to Ecclesiastes. We've seen the terms, the primary limitations. Let me give you an example. Let me just show you how Solomon works this out with just one theme. He does that with with multiple themes, but let me show you one. Let's take man's work. Go back to chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself, notice this, that his labor, his work here in this world, all that he does in this world is good. For this also I have seen it is from the hand of God, for who can eat and who can have an enjoyment without him? So God gave labor, God gave work to men as a source of enjoyment. And there are those of us who love what we do, and there are many of the rest who, who get glimpses of what it's like to really enjoy work. There was work before the fall. Work is not a bad thing. It's not a four-letter word. It's a good gift of God. But the curse brought obstacles to that work. That's when work became work. So man's work is a gift, but because of the fall, it has serious limitations. Let me show you these limitations, just a couple of them. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Solomon says, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I labored under the sun. Now, don't forget, he's going to tell us that labor is a good thing. Work, his work is a good gift, but he says, I hated it. Here's why. For Here's the limitation. I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. By the way, Solomon saw this up close and personal, or experienced it, I should say, up close and personal, because his son was a man named Rehoboam. Solomon was Israel's wisest king. He brought the kingdom together. He consolidated power and control. It was the golden age of Israel. And yet, what did his son do? Within a very short period of time, he wrecked the kingdom, split it into two. Solomon understood the vanity of life. Work's a good gift, but there are no lasting accomplishments. In fact, I was, as I thought about that, I was reminded that in 1851, a man named Henry Raymond began a newspaper for one purpose, and that was to give a Christian perspective on the news. That paper is called the New York Times. There are no lasting accomplishments. That's part of life in a fallen world. You don't know whether the guy who comes after you is going to make a mess of everything you've done or not. There's another limitation. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after win. In other words, work is a good thing, but in a fallen world, the main motivation for work is human rivalry. 
As Derek Kidner writes, effort and skill hide the scramble for wealth and status. Chapter 5, verse 11, gives us another limitation to work. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. Shall I have a show of hands on how many of you have had that experience? So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? In other words, when you have success, when you improve, when you you grow and you have increased wealth, that brings increased responsibilities. There are more consuming those resources. And so you're really never that much farther ahead. Chapter 5, verse 15. Here's another limitation. Whatever you accomplish in this life is temporary. Verse 15, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil, exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what advantage to him who toils for the wind? Work is a gift, but in a fallen world, there are only temporary gains. Death is the great equalizer. I remember standing one of my early days working at the Mackey Mortuary when I was in seminary and hearing the mortician as he worked on embalming this body say to me, they're all the same when they get to me. I don't know if they're rich or poor. I don't know if they were a failure in life or a success. It's all the same. That's a serious limitation. Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 7. All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the soul, literally, notice this, the side references, all a man's labor is for his mouth, yet the soul is not filled. This is true, by the way, of verse 8, whether you're talking rich or poor, wise or foolish. Verse 9, I love this verse, what the eyes see is better than what the soul goes after. This too is futility and a striving after wind. In other words, whatever it is you're trying to get to, it looks better than it tastes. You ever had the experience of walking through the mall and coming across the bakery? And that, that aroma just comes wafting out and it smells really good. And you go in there with the expectation, I'm going to find something that tastes like that smell. But it never happens. It never delivers. What the eyes see is better than what you ultimately taste. That's what he's saying. It's true with life's accomplishments. Chapter 9, verse 11. Here's here's a last limitation about work. There's no guarantee of success. I saw again under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of, men of ability, for time and chance overtake them all. Again, remember, he's looking at life under the sun. He understands God's sovereignty. There are other passages that make it clear that God maps a man's life. But he's saying as we look at it, here's a guy who's the best employee in the company, and he's passed over for the boss's relative. Here's the guy who's the fastest runner, and he's worked all of his life to get to the Olympics, and he should win the race. And some slow, inept runner trips him up. 
That's how it is with life. There's no guarantee of success. So work is a gift, but it has serious limitations because of the fall. That is just one example. I wanted you to see that is just one example of how Solomon weaves his two major themes throughout this book. But he makes the same points with the other parts of life as well. So how should we respond to these two propositions? How do we respond? Look at chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion. Life is a gift from God, meant to be enjoyed. Life has serious limitations because of the fall. When all has been heard, this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Ecclesiastes is not the work of a cynic or a hopeless existentialist. Solomon looks realistically at life, and then he points us to the way of faith. At its heart, this book is a call to faith. Often Christians expect life to make sense. And when it doesn't make sense, they lose their joy. They no longer enjoy God's good gift. Listen, things don't make sense because we live in a fallen world. So understand that though life is not ultimately satisfying, God is good, and he has given us life as a gift. Although you can never know why. You can't understand all the mysteries of life. God is wise and sovereign, and he has a plan. A sovereign God is putting life together. And even though you can't know the future, you can't know what's coming, Understand that God is just and faithful to his own, and he will do in your future what is right and good. It's a call to faith. So understand then that life is a gift from God to be enjoyed, but life has serious limitations. Those twin realities are meant to drive us to God in faith, in fear, in obedience, and in love. You remember perhaps when you were a kid and your parents took you over to your grandmother's house, what did you most look forward to? Hours of adult conversation? (laughs) The opportunity to express your undying love to your grandparents? The sheer joy of family? No, you went for the cookies. (laughs) Let's just be honest here, okay? But as you grew up, As you matured, the cookies became less important, and the person became the reason that you went. What Solomon says in concluding this book is enjoy the gift, but keep your eyes and heart focused on the giver. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. In New Testament terms, to fear God means to hear his son and to accept his son as Lord and Savior. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Enjoy the gift, but live under the eye and for the sake of the giver. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series titled Ecclesiastes, A Biblical Philosophy of Life. Join us next time for a brand new series as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. But Tom, before we end our time today, how about sharing a closing thought with us? I really hope that you've discovered along with me that Ecclesiastes is one of God's precious gifts to us because it helps us understand life in a fallen world. It helps us understand how we should think about the good things and the joys as well as the sorrows and difficulties and how through it all we should remain fixed on the giver of all good things and the one before whom we will ultimately stand. So I hope that this series, as short as it is, will shape your thinking in a profound way, in the same way that this book has shaped my own through the years. I hope that you will embrace the biblical philosophy of life that is taught in this magnificent gem buried in the heart of the Old Testament. Thanks, Tom. Church leadership can often seem like hazardous duty. Leaders can have both mountaintop experiences and seasons of discouragement. How can you, as a leader of Christ's church, faithfully respond to the different perspectives on leadership and the trials and triumphs of ministry? In Tom Pennington's book, Faithful Stewards, Tom identifies three key perspectives on church leadership that can help you maintain spiritual stability in ministry. Purchase your copy of Faithful Stewards today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. 